630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Here's the snap to Riley's. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. He's throwing. Go to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown, Eskimo. One time to score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. The battle is back tomorrow night. Rogers Place. Oilers, Flames fighting for playoff positioning. We'll have it for you on 6.30. Chad, we'll have a preview as we move along tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad, breaking news from late this afternoon. One of our country's all-time greats, any sport, any era, Haley Wickenheiser has retired from hockey after 23 years on Canada's women's team. She is 38, hails from Shonovan, Saskatchewan. 379 points in 276 games with the national team. She won four gold medals and a silver at the Olympics. And who can forever forget this soundbite after gold in 2002 in Salt Lake City? The Americans had our flag on their floor in the dressing room and now I want to know if they want us to sign it. All right, who's ever going to forget that? And I'm pleased to welcome to Inside Sports Cassie Campbell Pascal, longtime teammate of Haley Wickenheiser's. Cassie, good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Not too bad, Reed. Just uh, landed in Edmonton for the big game tomorrow night. Well, I want to talk to you about that because I'm glad you get to be part of the crew covering that one because we're we're pretty excited about that one here in Edmonton. But uh, you know, Haley deciding to step away from the game. You were uh, a teammate of hers for three Olympics and numerous other international competitions. Um, maybe a tough question to start with, but when you remember Haley as a teammate and as a player, what stands out to you? Well, I think just how consistent she was. You know, we could be up 13 nothing or one nothing, and she would still play the same. And, uh, you know, she, just her off-ice training and, and how professional she took the game, um, you know, year after year, and, and just her work ethic and her competitiveness. I think that's what kind of stands out for me. And, you know, she was one of our go-to players, no question about it, year after year. And, um and it, you know, it all comes to an end at some point, I guess. And, and, but I remember back, you know, starting our first world championship together and she was 15 years old and I was five years older. And, you know, we kind of grew up on the national team, so to speak, together. So, uh, it's a, it's a big day for sure for the program. And I think, um, many of us within the program knew it was kind of coming and, um, it'll be a, a moment to celebrate for her, but also a hard time as she transitions to something else, but she'll be successful no matter what she does. You, you know, you, we often talk about athletes being the the face of the franchise, and it's not always fair because there were so many great players who have represented Canada internationally, you being one of them. And, uh, you know, certainly in Edmonton, uh, Connor McDavid is kind of the, the face of the Oilers at a young age. Our, our quarterback, Mike Riley, is the, the face of the Eskimos, even though there are, are 60 guys on the roster. So she kind of uh, had a lot of that responsibility with the Canadian women's team. And as you mentioned, started there quite young. 
being considered a star player. How, how did she handle that? I mean, that can't always be easy for someone um, often, uh, you know, handling the media, hand, handling criticism if the team loses, or just sort of your every move and every quote um, being publicized. How, how did how did she deal with uh, that in your mind? Well, I think she thrived on it. I think that was something she enjoyed, actually, sort of that off-ice stuff. And, um, you know, that was just part of what she had to do. You know, she was captain for one Olympics, and and that's kind of how it, it works. And, you know, you look back at Menel Rayom and, and the face that she was early, and, you know, I guess people would say that I was, and then and then Wick, and then now it's Marie-Philippe Poulin. I mean, it kind of comes with the territory of being a leader in the program, and um, you know, I know hockey was always her primary focus, but, you know, I think she, she did an excellent job representing the game. Cassie Campbell-Pascal joining us inside Sports on 630 Chet. Okay, I played the quote from 2002. What, what's what's the story? What what did you guys know What looking back on it? How much of that do you think was accurate about the flag, or what do you recall about that whole scenario? Well, you know, I, I was actually the one who told the story in the dressing room and never thought it would leave the dressing room, but it did, and... Um, it actually ended up being a little bit of a political issue for about 48 hours after as, as we had to apologize to a lot of USOC and USA Hockey. And, you know, since then, I've obviously become friends with Cami Granado, who was the captain at the time. And, you know, she tells me it wasn't there, but it was a story we believed at the time. And it definitely, uh, we needed some extra motivation, I thought, going into the third period of that gold medal game. And it was um, you know, I thought we needed to play mad. I thought the U.S. were a better hockey team than we were. And and, you know, that was just one thing that, that maybe helped us win. It, you know, there were so many other great things that happened within our room and with throughout the year and, you know, things that we had to get over and some adversity we had to face that I think helped us win that game. But, um, you know, I think, you know, that interview, looking back on it, it, it sort of seems like it, it was, you know, exciting and fun. But at the time, it, it ended up being a pretty big mess to try and fix for the next 48 hours. So I think if she could take that one back, she probably would. But it's been celebrated in our country so much that, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny now. Right. So so you you shared that between periods, you said? Like you didn't even do it before the game? You waited till an intermission? No, we, I waited, and I don't know why. I, you know, I kind of sat on that story for a couple of days, actually, and I wasn't even sure if I was going to tell it. And, and to be honest with you, I, I had heard it from a, a rink attendant, so I wasn't even sure if it was true. But it, I thought, who cares? If it's not true or not, it could maybe help us. And kind of saved it to the last minute. And, um, you know, just we had scored uh, late in the second period. Jane Hefford had scored a goal to put us up 3-1. And, and you know, I, I just kind of felt that, you know, we needed something to keep us mad and to keep us going. And um, and then she, you know, at the end, she obviously she was pretty fired up about it because she talked about it at the end. And and I know Don Cherry told a story in Sochi about how, you know, she, they didn't even ask her for an interview. She just went and, and did it. So she's a pretty emotional character, and I think that's, you know, part of what made her successful sometimes and, and part of what something she had to control at times was the, her emotion. And, um, you know, that was an example of it there. Well, that was a legendary moment uh, moment for sure. Cassie, you mentioned you're in town for uh, Hockey Night in Canada, the uh, late game tomorrow between the Oilers and the Flames. You know, I don't think I've ever told you this when, when I've seen you at the, uh, the Oilers games you do cover, but uh, it has been a tough 
uh, decade for both franchises, more so for for the Oilers, but often the games have not mattered except for draft positioning. I had a great comment from a listener last year who has said it's been the pillow fight of Alberta, not the Battle of Alberta. So maybe a <laughs> battle tomorrow night. Uh, uh, how, do you, how do you size this one up? And obviously we don't know whether the Flames are going to be going in off a win or a loss yet, but uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, they're playing New Jersey tonight, so we won't get a chance really to see them tomorrow at the rink until probably about 5, 6 o'clock. And, um, but you know what? This is the first Battle of Alberta that has any meaning you know, in a long, long time. And so I think it's, you know, I, I live in Calgary and just flew in here to Edmonton and people in Calgary are pumped about it and they almost forgot that the Flames had to play a game tonight. They're just so focused on Saturday. And, you know, I think it's going to be exciting. And, you know, you look at guys like Jordan Everly, who's never played in a meaningful hockey game throughout his entire NHL career for the Edmonton Oilers. And he finds himself right in the mix and they're fifth. And I think the highest they've ever finished since the last made the playoffs was ninth. And, you know, so this is big for them at this time of year to be in the thick of things. And, and you know, that, that conference, the Pacific Conference, the Western Conference, if you will, I mean, everyone's in it um, with the exception of maybe two teams. So it's it's going to go right down to the wire. But tomorrow I'm just looking forward to, to calling the game, and I don't think we'll have to say too much. I think the game will speak for itself. Cassie, thanks for doing this on short notice. I know you just got into town, but really appreciate your your comments, and I look forward to seeing you at the morning skate tomorrow. All right, thanks, Reed. Take care. Excellent stuff. That is Cassie Campbell Pascal joining us on Inside Sports on 630 Ched with some uh, recollections of being a longtime teammate of Haley Wickenheiser and the infamous flag on the floor comment that uh, Wickenheiser revealed after the Canadian women won gold in 2002. It's 615. You can always text me at 630-630. I'm going to get to the text line right away. 780-496-0063 is the phone number. Plenty of Oilers and Flames stuff to get to. We're going to have former Flame Jim Plaplinski on the show. Our uh, Oilers analyst Rob Brown set to join us tonight. And uh, at 7.30 tonight, Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Marco Estrada, one of four Jays in Edmonton this weekend. It is Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6.30, Chad. So the Flames and the Devils will face off at 7.00. We have the Maple Leafs up 2-0 on the Rangers. That's early in the second period. Capitals taking it to Chicago 3-0. The game is almost half over. Your scoreboard for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. Islanders 2, Panthers 1 late in the first after one, Sabres with a one nothing edge on the Hurricanes. Blue Jackets and Lightning just uh, about to get going. They have retired Marty San Luis' number, so a long ceremony there. Also later on, Jets and Coyotes. Basketball tonight, Raptors lead Brooklyn. Uh, lead Brooklyn 48-43, four and a half minutes left in the second quarter. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad got a text here to... 630, 630. Sean says, holy smokes, mid-season and the Oilers are fighting for first. I must be Marty McFly, you know, from the movie. 
He says, uh, there will always be bumps, but the direction is there, and it's looking good. Thanks, Haley, for what you have done for Canada. Jared Seinfeld says, Reed, I'm a little concerned and have been concerned for some time about Todd McClellan burning through the deck in order to win. Think about it. Schultz, Yakupov, Pouliot, Nugent Hopkins, Everly all played their worst hockey under him. Pouliot-Yarvi hasn't been good. Todd seems to be looking for turnkey players for his system. That's why I believe some players are doomed on the Oilers. Because they don't fit. The question is, will they make the playoff? Depends on how many more times he can go to the well of the first line before it's empty. Yeah, I think a legitimate concern about the the first line and the uh, kind of lack of depth scoring the Oilers have had this season. Pretty good first line to have <laughs> when they're going, though. Um, I, I would argue, Jared, that Schultz and Yakupov weren't really much better under any other coach. Ralph Kruger, I suppose. Uh, I think Pouliot has been pretty much the Benoit Pouliot we've seen throughout his career. Nugent Hopkins and Eberle, sure, drop off this season offensively. No doubt about it. But the thing is, if, if you're going to criticize Todd McClellan for that, then is he not have some responsibility for how Maroon is playing, how Pitlick was able to play? You know? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Todd McClellan has, has ruined any of those players or, or knocked them off course. But, sure, some guys haven't responded, but there's also a lot on the player, too, I think. I think Todd McClellan's had a very positive influence on the Oilers overall. They were able to tough it out last night and get the win against the Devils. Dry settle in over the line. Drop pass. McDavid wrist shot. Save made. Rebound. And that one off the body. Maroon and wide. And then thrown back in front. Score! Edmonton's tied the game 2-2. Two to two. Lead pass left side. McDavid's got a two-on-one. Wanders in. Waits. Dishes. One-timer. Score! Leon Drysaddle buries it for McDavid. And Edmonton prevails. 3-2 in overtime. And that top line coming through. Three points for Drysaddle, including the game winner. A couple more assists for Connor McDavid. Patrick Maroon. Nine goals in his last 11 games, and he's certainly enjoying what's going on with the Oilers. This is so exciting. I, and you can see it in the guys in the room. This is, I mean, shoot, we're already halfway through the season, and you can see Edmonton Oilers just battling for first place. When was the last time um, the fans saw that? So I think for us right now, it's an exciting time in the locker room because playoff starts for me and this group in here. It should start now because this is where you get up for it. This is where you get excited, and before you know it, Two months is going to go by quick, and before you know, it's going to be April. All right, that's Patrick Maroon. Uh, now 17 goals on the season. Man, who saw that coming? I, I mean, again, love the way Maroon is playing. Gets to the net. Good vibe with McDavid and Dreisaitl right now, able to finish his chances. Uh, I'm sure, Obviously, at some point, it's going to drop off, but the Oilers are riding it right now. He has been absolutely hot and a huge goal last night. And I will say this. We, we knew how Nerd Juicy was going to play. They played that way. They tried to check. They tried to clog up the neutral zone. They don't create a lot of offense. They don't get a lot of shots. The Oilers stuck with it. And sure, it, w- it would have been great if the Oilers would have got out there in 1-5-1 and totally asserted themselves and stomped on the Devils and you would have been great. They beat a bad team. But still, the Oilers stuck with it and one of the words, a couple of the words that I've been using over and over again about the Oilers this season, they're calmer and they're more composed. 
And I remember there was a whistle with just over 10 minutes left. I, th- I think the the Devils flipped it in and it kind of rolled the Talbot and he covered it. And I kind of saw Talbot glance up at the clock and it kind of looked at the bench and, you know, guys were just kind of doing their thing. And I, I just didn't sense any panic in the orders. Like, oh, my God, we're running out of time. I, I just sensed, yeah, 10 minutes. We've got a lot of time to tie it. And as Todd McClellan has said, you got 60 minutes to figure it out. And you don't know which... He says, you know, the game's often decided on four or five shifts. You just don't know which ones they're going to be. And the Oilers are engaged in having more of those decisive shifts go in their favor. And I, I just like how they stuck with it last night. They, they aren't going away in games. Doesn't mean you're going to win every game, but they aren't going away in games. And, and I do see that as very important. And, I mean, Jared texted in, well... You know, some of these players haven't done well under McClellan. Fair enough. But I also think that attitude has started with McClellan on the coaching staff. And he said it tons last year. Do not fold your hand. Do not fold your hand. Stay patient. Stay with what the, the, the structure that we're giving you. And the Oilers are finally doing that. They're not going all, you know, off script and trying to do everything individually and getting all panicky when they're behind in a game. Chris from Phoenix on the line. Hi, Chris. Hey, man, uh, who saw Maroon scoring this many goals? I think I did last year at the end of the season. I said uh, he'd score 25 to 30 if he's paired with McDavid, and uh, he's on pace for about that uh, that number right there. I, I, I don't, I can't see who, why anybody would be complaining about the way Todd's coaching. Uh, last time I checked, uh, we're at, what, 51 points, I think? Yep. Uh, when was the last time the Oilers were at 51 points at this time of the season? Uh, well, I'd have to go back and check the exact date, but it was probably either probably uh, 05 or 06. Or was it 08, 09? They barely missed the playoffs. Probably one of those years. And, and as far as, as Yakupov and Schultz, it is what it is. Not every not every single young player that you get is going to turn out to be a home run. And and, and Yakupov really isn't doing much anyway. If, but so... To me, that was just uh, just a, a misfire on, on our pick, and uh, it is what it is. Uh, tomorrow's a big game. Uh, I would like to see uh, Lucic come out and uh, you know destroy a couple of flames. And uh, Ebbs and Nuge, although I like the way Nuge plays uh, all around, he's kind of struggling offensively. But uh, hopefully they can uh, turn it up, and uh, we can have a pretty decent second line too. So let's go Oilers. Great show, and uh, that's about it. All right, that is Chris from Phoenix checking in. You may want to watch for some fireworks between Davidson and Kachuk. Davidson's still unhappy about the slew foot delivered by Kachuk way back in the first game of the season. So that's a little subplot for tomorrow. There have been a lot of great, intense games between these two teams. Jim Paplinski played in many of them. The former Flame joins us next. It's Inside Sports on 630 Jet. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Shad. Great to have you tuning in tonight. This is a fun one. We were talking a little bit about Haley Wickenheiser retiring in the first half hour of the program. The Montreal Alouettes acquiring Darian Durant from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for two draft picks. We'll have some comments from Riders head coach Chris Jones. One of them things, one of them deals. 
as we move along. Tonight, Rob Brown's going to join us in about half an hour. We're getting you ready for the Oilers and the Flames tomorrow night, 6.30 face-off show here on 6.30. Chet, game will start at 8. Pleased to be joined by former Calgary Flame, Jim Plaplinski. Jim, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Reed, I'm... Uh, I'm uh... Better than yesterday and not as good as tomorrow. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a lucky guy living here in Alberta. Yeah, for sure. Good attitude to have, man. Hey, tell, before we get into all the hockey talk, tell people, uh, tell people what you're up to these days. How's life treating you? What kind of, uh, what kind of things are you pursuing these days? Well, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to, uh, how to keep uh, the different business ventures that I'm involved in uh, on the right side of the ledger with uh, the increased taxes and... Uh, and all of the uh, political nonsense that's taking place. But uh, my main focus is a finance business that's predominantly vehicles across Canada. We've uh, got an office in Edmonton, runs under the name of Jim Poplinski Leasing, has for well over 30 years. Uh, since uh, since April 1, 1990, I got into that after uh, after I stopped playing, subsequent to, to winning the Cup. And uh, so I focused on that, but I spent a fair amount of time in oil and gas and small startups. Uh, different real estate ventures. Uh, you know, as I said uh, at the top of uh, of your question, uh, I don't think there there's a better place to live than Alberta, and I'd uh, I'd certainly like to see it get back to the kind of vibrancy that uh, that we were uh, fortunate to enjoy through uh, most of the 90s. But we've had a we've had a good run, and uh, now we've all got to dig a, a little bit proverbial proverbially deeper in order to uh, to bring some of that back to. Um, to reality, so uh, lots, lots of business stuff. Uh, uh, spent a fair amount of time with uh, with different philanthropic efforts that uh, include organizations like the Children's Cottage, uh, the Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center, United Way, uh, doing things with the Flames alumni, with the NHL alumni. Uh, lots of different initiatives. No shortage of things to do. Four grown kids, a great wife, and uh, and uh, my health is as good as it's ever been. So um, I've got nothing to complain about. Right on. Sounds great. And uh, it's going to be fun tomorrow night. I mean, it's been the Flames and Oilers franchises. You know, it's not like the 80s and early 90s when there were significant games almost all the time. It, it's a nice treat tomorrow. This one has significance. How, how much attention do you pay Do you pay to the uh, current two editions of the teams here in Alberta? Well, I, I still do a bunch of work with uh, with the Flames, uh, and that... Uh, that um uh, work intersects with uh, with oiler work at times. Uh, uh, the most recent uh, initiative that we were involved in together was uh, bidding for the World Juniors in 2019 with uh, with Bob Nicholson and uh, and the whole crew in Edmonton. We were unsuccessful in that, but hopefully the next go around. So I, I, I stay I stay pretty close to it. There's uh, there is the um, uh, the connection between our two organizations that you want to be positive uh, so that uh, both organizations remain financially viable and uh, and healthy and then there's uh, obviously uh, the challenges um, between uh, the respective teams whether it be oil kings and hitmen or flames and oilers where uh, you want the other guys to be just close enough where you still beat them and so <laughs> I, I, uh, I I watch that uh, pretty closely and uh, and I'm looking forward to uh uh, to enjoy the game tomorrow night. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, Jim, I mean, the, it's called the Battle of Alberta largely because of what happened during the era you played throughout the uh, the, the 1980s when it was two of the best teams in the league in the same division in the same province just a couple-hour drive away from each other. And, uh, you know, when people tell stories from that era, there's as 
many stories about the fights and some of the gamesmanship that went on as there are about some of the goals and, and great skilled players that uh, that went into it. I, I mean, when you think, okay, Edmonton Oilers, is there a is there a guy that really got under your skin or some or someone you uh, you really remember that added fuel to it for you? Well, I, I gosh, Reed, I think. Um I think a, a more difficult question to answer would be who didn't get under my skin. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, and, and what is, what to me is really fascinating is if you fast forward from, from when I came to, to, to Alberta in 1980 uh, to now and think about that 10 year stretch from 80 to 90, I mean, I never would have thought that, uh, that uh, after I'd been out of the game for some period of time, that I would look on different members of the Oilers uh, in a different light than I did as competitors on the ice. Uh, you know, we we tried to be uh, somewhat um, civil in uh, in communicating our feelings about opponents uh, uh, during that time, but you know, we we really weren't being frank. I mean, there you know there was just no love lost. There was guys that that. Um, and for sure, it went both ways. This is not just uh, just Jim's view of the world. For sure, it went both ways. Where um, it wasn't about just trying to beat somebody; it was about trying to hurt them. And uh, I'm not I'm not proud of that. But I, when I think back on it, I go, "Wow!" I mean, how does how do you get to that? And you know, maybe that's why the the games were were so intense. So when you ask me about who got under my skin. Uh, I could come up with anybody from Dave Lumley to Pat Hughes to, you know, maybe not Lee Fogelin. Uh, you know, I got to think Lee is one of the nicest guys to walk the face of the earth. Not Grant Fuhr. Grant, I mean, Grant was always just kind of happy to be alive. He still is. I had a exchange with him here a couple of days ago. Uh, uh, but when you start to talk about Marty McSorley, Kevin McCollin, Pat Hughes, Dave Lumley, Dave Hunter, uh, Jeff Bookaboom, Steve Smith, on and on and on. Um, but I'll bring up a name that uh, that I haven't mentioned, um, and that is Kenny Linsman. And so, um, uh, about uh, three or four years ago, I found myself in a uh, charity event uh, with Ken involved, and we were sitting beside each other in, in this dressing room in Dubai, of all places, and. Uh, we uh, we were put together on a line with Alexander Yakushev. And so I really hadn't done anything but either try to beat Ken up or, you know, maybe say hello to him passing in the hall. But that was the extent of the interaction I had with him from the day I first met him when he played for the Philadelphia Flyers up until when he finished his uh, career uh, with the Boston Bruins and, of course, his stretch with the Oilers. And uh, so we kind of exchanged pleasantries in the dressing room. And and then we went out and played. And, you know, I just knew where he was on the ice. I mean, we'd obviously all slowed down, especially Yakushev, but I just knew where he was. And so we kind of got a bit of banter going together on the bench. Then we got talking afterwards, and we were over this thing for a few days. And so we spent a lot of time together. And I'll tell you, I left there thinking... I wish I would have had the chance to play with Kenny Linsman. You know, he would say things to me like, uh, you know, we got to figure out how to be better. We always got to be looking at what we're doing wrong in order to improve ourselves. And, and even when we were horsing around in a charity game, uh, he had the same sort of attitude. And it was still fun. And I thought back to, to playing against him, thinking about the number of times that uh, – 
that I would have tried to run over him or administer some discipline. And uh, I thought, hmm, you know, maybe it's those people who you find yourself uh, most challenged against that are actually doing the things that you're trying to do to the best of your ability in order to be victorious, hopefully within the the rules of the game. And uh, so as much as there were a number of Oilers, Kenny would be closer to the top of the list of, uh, of guys who got under my skin. I'll tell you today, they made me better. I hold them in high regard and I love to watch uh, competition between uh, two first-class organizations who are trying to be better. Well, that's a great way to put it. And, and I mean, in, in the era where you played, like I said, oftentimes the Flames and the Oilers were both in the top five or even three or four in the overall standings, and you mentioned the physical nature of the game. So I guess each team had a choice. Are, are you going to man up and try to compete with them, or are you going to allow yourself to be steamrolled eight times a year, right? And that's what made it so beautiful, because both teams chose to man up and drive each other. Well, this um, this little story is uh, is one that's made the rounds, certainly uh, in the circles that I travel. There was a wonderful man who's uh, been passed away for uh, some years now named Bob Johnson, who who you may have never met, but you certainly would have heard of. And uh, Bob came to Calgary as, uh, as really the first uh, coach out of American college ranks without NHL experience. And there was some question from the guys in the dressing room, what does this guy really know? And we got up into Edmonton, and uh, he had figured out the intensity of these games by this time, and he uh, was speaking to us before the game, and he said, okay, guys, he said, uh, we're going to war tonight. He said, uh, you know, you gotta, you got to look in your foxhole and, uh, and see who's on one side and who's on the other side. And I looked over to my right side, and I had Timmy Hunter sitting there, and I thought, well, that's, uh, that's pretty good. And, uh, and I looked over to the left, and I had Kent Nielsen. And Kent is a, still a great friend of mine, and he laughs when I tell this story. And I looked at Kent, and he kind of shrugged his shoulders as if to say, sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the motivation that, um, that uh, you get by osmosis when you know you have no other choice but to perform or be embarrassed is, uh, is one that either causes you to perform or causes you to collapse. And I would say in, uh, in the high majority of cases in both teams, guys were driven to perform to a level that they would not have otherwise had that uh, commitment not been required. We were Look, I, I'm I'm not going to suggest that uh, that playing a, a a game in a uh, in, an, in an intense battle is anything close to war, but it's the sort of thing that makes you understand the intensity of a war. And at a much lower level, you got to learn to compete, or you will you will be uh, at a minimum embarrassed, uh, somewhere higher up the scale, injured. Uh, uh, higher or not, lose lose face, lose credibility, lose your integrity, and uh, and those sorts of measures to those of us who uh, who whose word is our bond is important that uh, that we compete. And so we did the best we could. We didn't always win, but uh, it wasn't very often that uh, we didn't leave everything that we had on the ice. And as a result, uh, fans got into it, and uh, uh, and both cities enjoyed the contests. Uh, some of uh, some of maybe the best that. Uh, that uh, the National Hockey League has ever seen. Jim Poplinski joining us on Inside Sports. Jim, I got one more for you, and it sort of continues on that theme of, of looking around your dressing room. And, you know, I host a call-in show, and, and there are plenty of those in, in this city and in Calgary, and, you, you know, fans are always evaluating players. And what's interesting to me is 
I, I think that they're people before they're hockey players, and, and we see their skill on the ice. Can they stick handle? Can they shoot? How, sca- how fast do they skate? But, I mean, you've been in dressing rooms, and you continue to, to meet current members of the NHL, and there's that element where, you know, you might look at a guy or you had a teammate and say, I know this guy is going to work to improve. Or maybe you had some guys where it's like, my God, he's talented, but he, he's flatlined. He just won't push to that other level. And I'm just wondering, you know, how you know how, how you, you see that. You, you probably want to have a teammate and be able to look at him and say, I know a month from now this guy is going to be a better player. They want to adapt. They want to find a new level. Because I think even in the NHL, some guys, guys can, can kind of fall into a rut and say, well, this is who I am and it's good enough. But you want those guys that never feel like they're good enough. Well, in my my views after after playing uh, playing a game, I mean, I never, strangely as this might sound, I never thought of playing in the National Hockey League as a career. I thought about it as doing something that I was getting paid to play, and I just did it because I really enjoyed it. And I always thought, at some point in time, I'm going to have to go and get a job, and maybe that's why. I get into the the uh, finance business after uh, after we won the cup. I figured I had to do something. It was hockey was a game, and I think that's changed now. Um, uh, I think what has also changed is my view of my responsibility to try to uh, change somebody else. I've I've come around to in in sport and in in my own. Uh, personal business world and uh, and in any other places that I might touch to uh, spend a little bit more time, have a little bit more focus on what I need to do as opposed to worrying about what the other guy needs to do. Mm-hmm. Because when I when I think back to to impacts that were made on me, it wasn't it wasn't somebody telling me that I needed to do something. It was somebody showing me what had to be done by their behavior. Uh, I, I stumbled upon an interview that Billy Clement. So, so Billy was uh, was um, uh, I think he was captain of the Washington Capitals maybe after he was traded from Atlanta, and he may have even won the. He was number ten for the Philadelphia Flyers. He won two Stanley Cups there, and he does a lot of Philadelphia broadcasting now. And when I came to Calgary, uh, Billy C. His nickname was Billy C. We used to call him Duke because he could do all these voices and John Wayne and. He's just a wonderful guy. And he took me under his wing and he showed me how to do face-offs. And I'd argue, I'm not, I'm not bragging, but I would, I would argue that I was as good at face-offs when I played as anybody I went against. And that was in large part due to Bill taking the time to show me and then for him to show me how he would practice them. He'd say after practice, hey, come and drop some pucks for me. Come and take face-offs against me. It wasn't... Now, this was making me better, but he was showing me that he was practicing. If I wanted to come along and practice with him, I could, but he was demonstrating what was required to be a pro. And you know what was fascinating is is Duke got traded the next year, and I would tell you that I, to a large extent, took his job. And I always thought to myself, isn't that fascinating that a guy would help a young guy who at some point in time would go to the point of, of taking that guy's job? And... It just struck me throughout the rest of my career and in, in my business endeavors as well, you can talk about the way you got to be or you can just show people. And so the suggestion that I want to look for people who, 
who are behaving a certain way, yeah. But I think it's most important that you figure it, figure out how you behave and then look to, to surround yourself with people who, who aren't necessarily the same as you but have got the same commitment to improving themselves because if they don't show that, it's very, very difficult for, for you to get them to see it. And when you start to have a group like that, then when other people come in, if you get a, a C player comes in and that C player realizes what an A player does to be an A-plus player, all of a sudden the C moves to a B and the B moves to an A. And you develop a culture of improving yourself and through improving yourself, you improve others. I don't know if that whole theory holds together for you, but um, it has for me so far. And so I, I really try to, before I point fingers that this person's not doing this or this person's not doing that. Um, I try to decide if I'm doing what's required in order to be the best that I can be. Jim, great answer. Man, this was great to talk to you. I, I hope we can catch up again because you're, you're fascinating to talk to. Uh, but in, in the short term, enjoy the game tomorrow night because I think it's going to be a good one. Both teams fighting hard for a playoff spot. Yep, call anytime. Uh, good luck to the Oilers as long as the Flames are one goal ahead of you. Um, I'm a happy guy and uh, um, I got lots of friends up in Edmonton, including in my office there. So thanks, uh, thanks for taking the time and appreciate uh, the insight of your questions. Right, right on. Thanks for coming on. A flame to the end. Jim Poplinski joining us inside sports on six through chat. Man. <clears throat> Loved some of the stories he had about, uh, especially the Ken Linsman story. That was great, and and I really liked how he framed the uh, the quest for self improvement that hockey players should have, and uh, how you need to create that culture of players seeking to improve. Hopefully, that's a step the Oilers are beginning to take. You can text six thirty six thirty phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We got to take a quick timeout. We'll be back to update the scoreboard. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. All right, Oilers and Flames tomorrow night. I want to thank everybody texting in who enjoyed the Jim Poplinski interview. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, someone asking, is there a way I can get a copy of that interview? Well, uh, Kellen, in about probably 15 minutes, will already have it up on the website, right? Yep, you can go, and it'll also be in 15 minutes on iTunes on podcast form. Does it so go that fast go. on iTunes when you podcast? It? Instantaneous. Really? There you go. So you can just go to the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. We don't send out uh, audio cassettes anymore of our interviews. So you can just get everything digitally if you want to uh, re-listen to it on 630Ched.com. Yeah, that was I really enjoyed the Jim Poplinski interview. That'll be on a Best of show as we uh, as we move along. Absolutely. Busy night, as always, in sports. Maple Leafs lead the Rangers 3-1 after 2. Capitals taking it to the Blackhawks. It's 4-0 after 2. Halfway through the second period, Islanders 2, Panthers 1. The Hurricanes 3, Buffalo 2. That's in the second period. No score, 12 minutes into the game between the Blue Jackets and the Lightning. Still to come tonight, the Devils and the Flames and the Jets and the Coyotes. Basketball, Raptors in a close one. They trail Brooklyn 68-67 with seven and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. Darian Durant, no longer a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, traded to Montreal for a fourth-round pick in 2017 and a conditional second-round pick in 2018. Haley Wickenheiser retires after 23 years 
with the Canadian women's hockey team. Rob Brown coming up. He was part of some rivalries in his life as a player. He'll tell you about those. Oh, and in about 40 minutes, Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Marco Estrada, one of four Jays in town for the weekend. Having a good Friday night, everybody. Hope so. Talk to you after the news. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.